really don't know because you don't know what we're trying to do. You guys don't look at the films. You don't know what happened. You really don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. And you never will. Yes, welcome into the We Never Played the Game podcast. Zach Klein, Jeff Schultz. Uh, we're here to break down Kansas in the Final Four. That's all this podcast is about. God. No, no baseball. Please, no owners please, meetings. No. Cut. <laughs> cut. Take two. Come on, man. I know you love seeing Duke go down. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's, it was sort of a tough call. I got to be honest with you, Zach, because I had a choice of rooting for Duke. Who, Said you no know, one. Yeah. <laughs> which anybody outside of Duke doesn't like to do that. Or rooting for Kansas, nothing against you, but it's it's more about O'Brien. Dave ah, O'Brien went to Kansas. Yeah, touche. So it's do I want the joy of seeing <laughs> of seeing O'Brien miserable, <laughs> or do I want the joy of seeing Mike Krzyzewski miserable? It was a tough call. Yeah, okay. I, uh, I didn't know which way to go on that one. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, Dave O'Brien, your esteemed colleague at the Atlanta oh, Journal-Constitution, yes, yes um, you guys had a really unique opportunity, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution sitting down for kind of a, a state of the state with the uh, the Braves front office brass. Uh, set the stage for me. This is Tuesday of opening week. How did it go down, and how many, uh, how, how much time did you get to visit with uh, said individuals? Um, well, we almost need to roll it back, Zach, really, to when the story first broke um, that John Coppolilla and Gordon Blakely, who was a special assistant to John Coppolilla, the former Braves general manager, were forced to resign. And um, the Braves were declining public comment beyond a, a statement they put out citing the MLB investigation. Um, that was back in October of last year. And then in November, when the final um, disciplinary actions from the from Major League Baseball came down, Coppolella, as we know, was given a lifetime ban largely for not cooperating um, with the investigation and, and lying to MLB investigators about it. And Gordon Blakely, um, he wasn't banned for life, but he, he's, he's out for a while from what I remember. And, and basically Terry McGurk, who had the brave CEO, then she's the CEO and now chairman, um, had declined comment throughout and then said he would talk, suggested he would talk after the investigation, but he didn't, he still only released a statement. And I, I asked a few times about him talking and he kept saying no. And I saw him again in spring training and he started talking to me, and I, as I wrote in the AJC online now and in today's newspaper, uh, he, I told him, I'm not going to do an off-the-record conversation with you. I'm only going to talk on the record. Um, and which, you know, Zach, I've been in this business for a long time. I talk off the record to people all the time, but it's usually in exchange for also talking to them on the record. And that's generally how it works. Yeah, so you, so uh, and, just for people that are tuning in and, and listening, you know, you'll 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 talk off the record to kind of get a general background, uh, correct? And then you can there, use some of that information to try to ask your yeah, subject to go on the record about, yeah, yeah, you know, kind of open there, up a little there, bit. Yeah, I mean, there are many instances, and this is what readers don't understand a lot of times, and I don't blame them because they're not sort of behind the scenes like you and I are. But many times, whether it's a player an athlete, a coach, a general manager, a team president, an owner, many times they'll tell you something saying, look, I really can't be quoted on this, but just so you know, here's what the real story is. 
And then sometimes a media person will come back and say, okay, but I, I understand that and I trust you and believe you on that. And that's kind of what I thought, but I need something on the record. And then they'll give you a general, on, you know, sort of on the record comment that doesn't really commit to anything, sort of, you know, abstract comment. And that's a lot of times that's sort of how the business works mm-hmm. um, because people a lot of times just don't want to come clean on the record and, and be for whatever reasons. And um, so when I talked to Terry in spring training, he, he initially sort of also continued to say he was going to talk on the record. And I just sort of said, look, how about just doing some sort of state of the Braves thing um, before the season starts? You and me, uh, if you want Tim Tucker to be there, because Tim had done a lot of these, has done, as you know, a lot of sports business stories. And I knew Terry was comfortable with Tim. And um it's just eventually it just sort of morphed into the Braves offering me, Tim Tucker, and David O'Brien to sit down with Terry McGurk, Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager, and and two other executives that most fans aren't might not even know, Derek Schiller and Mike Plan, who are largely res- responsible for business and real estate operations. So you got the and muckety-mucks. You got the, 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 the brainchild yeah. of the Braves. Yeah, now, I mean, I, I sort of felt bad for Alex because none of us requested Alex to be there. And, right. and frankly, he had nothing to do with this. And and we can talk to Alex all the time. And I and to some degree, I felt the same about Mike Plant and Derek Schiller. Nothing against them personally, but nobody requested them. This was, to me, this was all about Terry. Just trying to wrap and, up that chapter in, in, in a significant timeline in Braves history. Correct. That hasn't and, been discussed before. And then, as you said in your article, like let's discuss it. Let's get it out there. Let's explain what happened. And then we can move on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at one point in in the and we, by the way, to answer one of your other questions, we talked. We ended up talking for over an hour. Right? I, I wasn't able to transcribe the whole thing because the deadline yesterday. Although I'll go back, but it was probably about an hour and twenty minutes or an hour and a half. And um, you know, at one point yesterday, you know, Terry said, you know, well, we're kind of beating a dead horse. Well, we're not really beating a dead horse because the horse had been in the barn <laughs> right, for five months, mm-hmm. basically, since this investigation. This is the first time we're seeing the horse, and we're talking to the horse. <laughs> Nothing personal, Terry, but I'm just, for, for the purpose of this exercise, you're the horse. Right. And so um, um, that's basically where it went, and I, I didn't really know what to expect to, to expect from it. Um, I was kind of hoping for maybe a little more what I would perceive honesty, but, you know, to this point, now, so was they, it was it perceived yeah. honesty or, or lack of transparency in terms of coming through? Because there's a difference. Well, do you think he, he was? Do you think? Do you think Terry Murgurk lied to you? Uh, I will. I will go this. Let me say this. I think a lot of people north of John Coppola and Gordon Blakely knew what was going on, and I think if Terry is telling the truth that he personally didn't know how money was being spent, even though he is was the CEO slash chairman and he is the one who signs off on budgets and his story is that we approved the budget but then in so many words John Coppolell and Gordon Blakely used the money a different way than we intended it to be used if indeed all this went on for three and a half years and he didn't know a thing about it even in the best case scenario Zach that gets CEOs fired <laughs> sure so to me either He's lying and he knew about it, or he's not lying, he didn't know about it, and that might be a greater indictment. And and on some level, I'm a little surprised that he survived all this. And I'm also surprised that he he tried to cover up for John Hart, who effectively is the one who hired and promoted John Coppolella. Uh, and, you know, Co- uh, John Hart was sort of allowed to 
escaped without public condemnation and sneak out the side door, um, even more amazingly, was allowed to, by MLB, to return to his MLB network job. There's no question in my mind John Hart knew what was going on, mm-hmm. um, but John Hart was not slapped other than the fact that the Braves, you know, asked him to leave. But I, I'm I'm fairly confident, I am confident in saying that the Braves asked him to leave only after MLB impressed upon it to the Braves that you have to ask him to leave. Right. Because, because you know, yeah, he and Copy were, you know, joined at the hip for the most part. Yeah, uh, and, and, and Terry loved John Hart. Right. And, and I mean, he, he thought the world of him. And he, I think he, I don't think there's any question in my mind that he wanted to save him and spare him. Um, and when I asked Terry that, he, he basically did not answer the question. He said, I'm not going to get into, you know, you speculating about who I was trying to save and who I'm not trying yeah, to save. You, so, is- so you're on the record with uh, Terry McGurk, the uh, CEO of the Braves, and you're, you're trying to wrap up this uh, period in Braves history that uh, right. will leave a black eye. Was there anything that he said to you that uh, on the record that, that, that surprised you? I, I know he had strong language saying, hey, we, getting rid of copy was like cancer. You had to, you know, scrape it and, and get rid of it because that's how uh, poisonous it was to the inner workings of the Braves franchise. Um, was there anything he said on the record that surprised you and then, you know, was, was more forthcoming than you expected? Um, well, the cancer analogy, which while he did set it up with just to use a bad analogy, you don't say that. And I, and I, and, and that surprised me. I, I don't look, I mean, I, I know I was, <laughs> I, I was sort of perceived as this anti-copy person and, and I really wasn't. I mean, while I didn't agree with all the moves he made, I sort of understood what his, marching orders were and he did a wonderful job rebuilding the farm system um i thought he had some flaws as a person and and i thought he had some flaws as a big picture kind of guy to some degree um but i but he did largely what he what he set out to do which was to rebuild the player development system but i don't think he's a bad person no i think here's a guy who's he's he's, he's a baseball geek i mean that's just what he is he's thrust in this public position that he had no training for exactly Uh, yeah so he's got got a family and he and he's generally a good person and i i I just to be referenced with a cancer analogy i thought that was bad Mm -hmm. and i thought that was wrong um and i don't know if terry said it because he felt he needed to come out strong and i mean just and and you know, sort of put an exclamation point on. We had we had one or two employees go rogue. Um, you know, theory that they're putting yeah. out there that nobody is buying into. I know. Um, <laughs> you just you know. Yeah, it's just it's just not true. I mean, I you mean, go you go rogue in little league when you're trying to skirt. You know, the yeah, p- number of pitches. Yeah. You know, Johnny, your uh, nine year old lefty, and how many curveballs you could throw at that level. You just you just don't do it. I just can't fathom. It, you know, yeah, um, it, it happening. Here's a guy. You know, John Coppolella, who basically got his dream job dream. and he was he was allowed to do anything he wanted to do. And for the most part, he did it well. And and the thought that he I mean, people who go rogue, Zach, first of all, sports executives don't go rogue. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> but in life, people who go rogue do it with some agenda many right. times and do it with some axe to grind. <laughs> yeah, the guy is not going to jeopardize his career with 
you know, with people who, who just gave him his dream job. I mean, they're it, not going it, to do it. It's kind of like <laughs> you and I, uh, you know, achieving where we are uh, blessed to have unbelievable, you know, job opportunities at Channel 2, uh, yourself for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. You get to this dream position, and then all of a sudden you start making shit up about, hey, you know, one source in the NBA told me that Dennis Schroeder is going to be traded for Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. And I mean, you just throw stuff out there. That has, uh, yeah, that's going rogue and making stuff up, you know, trying to uh, improve your status and improve your, you know, channel two or the AJC. And for, for, for what? I mean, I, yeah. just, I, I just don't, you know, as you said, you, you kind of do that when you're in market, you know, 900 or something like that to prove yourself or trying to create some noise. Not when you reach this level. Um, it's just, it's just, it's, it's poor. Um, I, I don't buy it at all. And that's why I was just warning, you know, anything McGurk said that kind of surprised you. Um, so that was one thing. And actually sort of on that topic in terms of, well, maybe he was just oblivious to it all, whatever. I, I got to say, there's some pretty funny people on Twitter. Oh <laughs> yeah. Twitter's great for stuff like that. Last night. And one person responded a fake copy quote, um, uh, to me, sent me a fake copy quote that said, yeah, uh, I need another $5 million for um, office supplies. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Here's yeah. another $5 million for staples and printing paper. Um, um, yeah. So so that was that was one thing. Um, the fact that he still stood by Hart, I was kind of hoping that he would sort of acknowledge on some level that he found out that Hart did kind of know about it. He didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't answer your question. He, 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 he didn't answer the right. question. Maybe, honestly, the thing that surprised me most was I asked him a question that sort of, um, to use a sales term, was I sort of made the assumption close. I said, look, I said, over the last you know few years, you guys have lost a lot of games. Um, uh, Liberty Media has not spent a lot of money. You, you've had this thing sort of blow up in your face. It's clear that the brand has been damaged. Yeah, um, right. And, and and by Liberty Media has been has has gained this reputation, and the Braves have gained this reputation about gaining gaining more um, or ha- having more drive for real estate transactions, and the bottom line than winning games. And and that's sort of how I set up the question. And and I said, as the CEO slash chairman of of the Braves. How big of a challenge is it to try to rebuild that brand um, and to rebuild trust with the with the fan base? And rather than answer the question as presented, he said, I don't agree with you uh, about the brand under, being damaged, and, the, about the brand being damaged. So then and why he, aren't we sold out for opening day? You know, is, 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 uh, is, is it the yeah. fact that, you know, the, the brand is damaged? Is it the fact that, you know, um, you know, the, these fans in Atlanta don't want to sit in the cold? Uh, is it the fact that, you know, rain's coming? Is it the fact that, you know, this ha- the team hasn't had a good product on the field? I mean, shit. I mean, the, the Wrigley in, in Chicago or the, you know, it, opening day is opening day, right? Everybody has hopes. Everybody's excited for baseball. And here you are with this franchise that is historic and you are not sold out for opening day. Um, to me, that's very surprising. I think it says something about, you know, the state of the franchise, uh, you know, cause even if the product was poor, Jeff, people still go up for opening day. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a holiday. It's an unofficial national holiday. And, and even on top of that, Zach, I mean, I think to some degree, the brand had sort of been dented before any of this ever happened. Sure. I mean, even before 
the last four years. I mean, things were sort of up and down and payroll had been slashed. Um, we know, we know that to be true. And, and the team fell short in the postseason several times. Jeff, the last, the last time they had a winning record, Brian McCann, Dan Ugla, yeah. Andrelton Simmons, Melvin Upton, and Freddie Gonzalez were on this bench. Yeah. Or on the field. And, and the last time I think people really honestly were truly excited about this team or about Braves baseball in the city was actually prop. This is just my opinion was actually Bobby Cox's last year when, when they had all those guys get injured and they, and they, and they made the playoffs anyway. And, um, uh, um, I just, eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That, that to me, that to me was the last, the last time people, I think people in this town were truly was that Hayward's rookie first. year. I think, uh, no, no, I, uh, well, actually, let me see. Am I don't I... know. You're jogging my memory, and I can barely remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but, but, but to, again, to sort of take a position that, that the brand hasn't been damaged, I don't, I mean, that's, that's unfathomable to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I don't, I mean, are you really that deluded, or are you just basically not going to say it publicly? Right. I mean, I just don't, I don't really get that. And I, and look, this has nothing to do with, the fact that the team moved to a new state. Not at all. I think what the, I and mean, it has, it's a great and, and area. It has, Love it. Yeah, over there. yeah. It has nothing to do with, you know, the battery and, and all this other stuff. It just, and, and it just, how can you sit there and say that people look at the Braves organization the same today that they did in the 1990s. And it has any, it doesn't even have anything to do with the fact that they were winning 90 plus games every year in the 1990s. It's more about how you were operating and, and perceptions of the team and, and perceptions is just how things were run. I just, I don't really, I can't, I could not wrap my head around that yesterday when he said it. It's so that, fast, that probably surprised it's, me more. Than it's amazing. Else. I mean, if I were to tell you as you go back, you know, three or four years ago, um, that the Braves would have trouble selling out opening day, yet a new soccer team would have 120,000 fans yeah, in two really. total games. Yeah, I mean, I the, Braves, the Braves won't draw that for a weekend. Yeah, I, I would have been stunned right there with you. I was, uh, I wouldn't say I was a disbeliever on, on soccer coming here, but I just sort of wanted to see it, you know, I, before I committed to it. And clearly soccer has gone on and, and I mean, we know the demographics, obviously, you know, baseball sort of perceived as this older, fan base Mm -hmm. um soccer has the young younger fan base and younger fan base is buying tickets yeah um so yeah as for the season for the braves i've seen anywhere with jeff from what 76 to 84 wins um everybody oh where are you seeing 84 (laughs) uh, you know it could have been uh i love jeff schultz go braves.com or something some blogs off that um it was a game or two over 500 i saw uh and just getting ready for this podcast uh for the most part everyone agrees that um the washington nationals will win this division and the Miami Marlins will finish last in the NLAs, right. and then you have these other two teams, three teams, you know, fighting for that two, three, uh, four slot uh, in the NL East. Uh, a, do you think the Braves will finish over uh, 500 or at 500? Um, and when you look at this season, you know who's under more pressure. Well, let's first answer that question: 500 or, or below, or above? Below. What are you taking? You're taking below. Below, below. Close. I, I mean, is this a 72 uh, win team or an, an 80 uh, win team? I, I would say 74 to 76 wins. Okay. Um, I and and it's largely based on pitching. They don't have 
they don't have a proven starting rotation. I think there are too many question marks in the starting rotation. Right. It was kind of like last uh, year with all the hope was, you know, Bartolo Colon and R.A. Dickey. Yeah. And, and if they, you know, if you look at their past record, they've all gone 200 plus innings. And, you know, basically you needed the best of the best in every situation, every scenario. And that never usually happens when everything goes according to plan. So when you're throwing out Julio Tehran and Brandon McCarthy and Fulty and Sean Newcomb, yeah, if everything goes well, you think, all right, these guys, but you're just not going to happen with five guys. But you just said it, Zach. I mean, the guys, the three guys that they brought in last year with Dickie Colon and, and Jaime Garcia, there was almost more certainty last year about the rotation mm-hmm. based on what they had done the previous few, year, few years. There's less certainty now because Julio's still up and down. Fulte's got amazing talent, but sometimes when things go wrong, you know, things go sideways. Brandon McCarthy has had injuries. Sean Newcomb is young. Um, L- L- Gohara is is starting the year on the disabled list just because he's, you know, overweight and hurt his groin, then he hurt his ankle. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? There's questions about all these guys. And, you know, if you have a decent rotation where you have at least a few guys who you know are going to go give you six, seven innings all the time, then you're like, okay, we could probably get by. They don't really have that. And we don't know if they have that, I should say. Um, and then you, so behind that, now you have a bullpen and you have a bullpen. So between the rotation and the bullpen, which kind of go hand in hand, I just don't see them finishing 500 because they don't have the lineup to support what I think is sort of a a thin pitching staff. They don't have the lineup that I think where they're going to go out and win too many seven to five games. I was just about to say, when you have a thin (laughs) pitching staff, if you have the Yankee offense, uh, you know, that can supply six, seven, eight runs a game, yeah, you're going to win some ball games. But I think Freddie Freeman, you know, I'm kidding when I say this, but he might have as many home runs as the entire team does combined. I mean, there's no power on this team. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of pressure, even though there really shouldn't be on Dansby Swanson. He was brutal in the field last year, gets sent down in the minors, you know, hits just above 230. Uh, and there's so many expectations. I still think he carries the burden. And he said from day one of spring training, when you, when you and I were down there, that he was going to turn the page and he was looking forward and he came out of spring training healthy. He was healthy this spring training, but he didn't light it up. So where is his mental state? Does he have all the tools to succeed at this level? For sure. So I think it's for him, it's between the ears. So there's a ton of pressure on this kid, even though there's not a lot of pressure on this team. I mean, this is, should be another rebuilding year, and you got all this money coming in for the 2019 season. You, these young guys take another, um, you know, nine months in the big leagues to get experience, and then all right, let's it's time to go, and we're getting after it. This rebuild is now over. This project, this three four year project, is now at that three or four year mark. Let's make it happen. So we, I, I, I you know, I'm at, it's a make or break year. Uh, it shouldn't be, but I think Dansby is just going to have a lot of pressure, and I think you know, come August, Jeff. Uh, I, I just don't want to, you know, have him, you know, oh, you, you writing articles. Is it time to send him back to, you know, to the to, to Gwinnett? And, you know, did that trade that copy pulled off with Arizona that everyone agreed was an unbelievable deal, getting rid of Shelby Miller and you bring in Enciarte and Dansby. Now you're like, oh, man, what's up with Dansby? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I don't I mean, I don't know that his career would be over, but he. I think he's I, I would agree with and this, you're saying that this is definitely He's definitely the pressure, the player with the most pressure on him. Um, I don't know if they if they would wait till July or August to send him down. I think they'll look at him for the first five or six weeks, see how he is, and see how he's handling things. And you know, I don't know if it's pre- if it's pressure of expectations. I don't know if it's playing in Atlanta, uh, which is a whole another level. Um, 
I don't know. Maybe Zach, we don't know still if he's good enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone wants to talk about the mental aspect. We still, he's never really done it at the major league level other than that last month, you know, when he came up that first year. Um, we don't know. We, and he has to, and, and Zach, number one, what he honestly, what he really has to do is play defense. Right. And, I mean, because, you know, you could be, if you're playing strong defense and you're hitting 240, okay, at least you're playing strong defense and you're doing what you need to do at shortstop. If you're kind of hit and miss at shortstop, I mean, he's not going to be hitting high enough mm-hmm. to to make up for that. So I would agree that that's number one. There are a lot of players. I mean, you know, Julio Tehran, I don't know if it's pressure, but he's certainly at a crossroads, I would say. Um, and I think he's certainly a guy that, that could be moved at some point when Alex Anthopoulos starts making trades. Um, Nick Markakis is a guy who's been a trade rumor since almost he got here. He's a solid player, but, you know, he doesn't really fit into the future plans of the team. I wouldn't think, um, I think it's going to be really interesting. Some of the stuff Alex said yesterday that we haven't really used yet was pretty interesting kind of stuff. He had reiterated about, um, you know, he wanted time to, to look at players, but he, he's got a pretty good feel for a lot of guys now. Mm-hmm. And now he just wants to see them, particularly the young players, play some major league games before he starts making decisions. So, so when we when we wrap up a, a post uh, 2018 baseball season on the Braves, what would you consider uh, a, a successful offensive season for Dansby? Because if you look at his minor league totals, it's not like he was like Ronald Acuna and hit like 900 every level of the way up to the big leagues. I mean, he was hitting 260, 275. Um, you know, it's not like he would, you know, so defense is where he's got to earn his keep, right? Cause I don't, I, what are the expectations again, offensively, if he hits 275 this year, um, you know, seven or eight, nine home runs and, and drives in 75, 80, would you consider that? All right. All right. He's, he's got oh, me for one more year. Absolutely. That's not, yeah. I mean, again, my bigger, my bigger issue with him right now, and I have, and I think the Braves biggest issue right now is, is fielding. Mm-hmm. I think you have to prove that you're a good defensive shortstop. The hitting will improve in time. I mean, you're going to, you know, they have coaches. He's got, you know, off-season stuff he can do. I mean, that will that will get better. He's not going to hit. He hit 302 in 38 games when he first came up in 2016. He's not going to hit 30. He's not going to hit 302. And he, but he's not. He can't hit 232, right? Uh, which is what he hit last year. I think if he's in that 260, 270 range, and you're playing solid shortstop, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I so I don't. Yeah, I don't think anybody. You know, if he ends up being a 280, 290 hitter, great. But I don't think anybody should go into it with that's the bar. If you don't hit that, we're getting rid of you. It could be a uh, interesting start to the season, Jeff. Um, you know what? The Braves were almost what eleven games, twelve games out of first place by the time June started a, a year ago. And then you look at the way the season starts this season: uh, sixteen divisional games. You're playing the Nationals, the Phillies, the Mets right away. You head out to Coors Field. You head out to Chicago, who's supposed to win their division. Uh, you know, I, you just don't hope that this team by the June again is double digits out of first place. Cause then you're going to start hearing snicker what's going on with Dansby. And you know, for a team that needs to generate some interest, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the longer they can stay relevant, the better for everybody, but it's a tough, tough start to this 2018 campaign. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, this is where, you know, you reference snicker. I mean, this is where you sort of wonder if they get off to an awful start, um, are they going to hold Brian accountable like they held Freddie Gonzalez accountable? And that's not to suggest that either 
Freddie was or Brian is, um, you know, the greatest manager in baseball. That that's not not what this is about. It's more about the hand that they were dealt, and uh, or in our and and was dealt this year. And I I don't know. I mean, you've got a couple of guys on staff. You could you could hire as interim manager the rest of the year. I don't know what the numbers are for Brian in terms of what they have to do uh, and how Alex is going to judge them. I don't think Alex will be as quick to do it as, as copy was and Hart was a, a couple of years ago. Um, because I think when they, when the Braves got off to an awful start a couple of years ago and Freddie Gonzalez left, lost his job, I think Coppola and Hart took it personally. They really believed that that on some level, that that was a much better team they put together and they could not accept the fact that some of their off season decisions might've been wrong. And I think that that is really what uh, led to partly what led to Freddie's exit. Um, and I don't, I don't think Alex would take it necessarily as personally if some of these guys didn't perform to the level that some people expect, because he didn't put this team together to some degree. This team was here. Uh, I think so, I, but I do think he'll hold Brian accountable. Don't get me wrong. Sure. And I do think if he thinks a change would be good for the clubhouse, he'll make a change. Mm-hmm. I just don't think he'll go about it. He would go about things the same yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, because you and I have always did. talked about like what, what were the expectations going into the season, and did you live up to those expectations? So you know, if if this team is predicted, and most people you know in that seventy-two to let's just say eighty range, and they end up in there, well, okay, you, you had the talent on the field that suggested you'd win this many games. You did win this many games. You can't hold the manager for not winning eighty-five or ninety. Uh, so, you know, yeah, if you win 40, 50, 60, there's, there's, there's cause for concern. As we wrap up this uh, Braves preview, Jeff, uh, Ronald Acuna, no problems agreed starting him in AAA Gwinnett. No, look, if he could miss as little as was it 12 or 13 games. Yes. So he could still basically play 150 games. And I look, I totally get the emotional side of it from fans who say, you just don't care about winning. You only care about money. You're starting our potentially our best player or future first ballot Hall of Famer right. <laughs> in the minor league. That was a great line you had, by the way. That was an oh, unbelievable line. I loved it when you, in your article. Thank, thank, thank you. <laughs> you know, he hit whatever it was. What he hit? 300, 400? I don't even know what he yeah. hit in spring training. I mean, yes. Did he, based on what he did in spring training, deserve to be here? Absolutely. But when you're talking about an extra year of salary c- control, for 12 games in a season where you, nobody really expects you no, to make the playoffs. Is. Yeah. Now, if the Braves were projected as contenders this year, sure. okay, and and those first 12 or 13 games conceivably could make a difference at the end of the year, then I think you have a legitimate beef. And then, you trust me, you would have seen me write in a column saying, what are the Braves doing? I totally understand that you get an extra year of salary control this. I get the economic side. But you're jeopardizing you're jeopardizing a postseason berth by doing what you're doing. I don't view it that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're they're a postseason team this year. Yeah. I, don't th- I don't think they're close to a postseason <laughs> not, team. This not year. even close. <laughs> and what are they what are they going to miss out on? Six home dates to start the season. Six, what, yeah, six home six home. And games. you're not so even out selling of, out the first game to begin with, and it's opening day. So what is it? if you yeah. have Ronald Acuna in the field, people are going to you know buy tickets. Tickets are eight bucks. Get out there and go support this team. Yeah, so realistically, I mean, just realistically, so for any fan who's really upset about this, ask yourself this question and try to be objective. 
if Ronald Acuna, let's say he's, let's hypothetically say he's going to miss 12 games and come up. Okay. For the sake of argument out of those 12 games, how many do you think the Braves would have won going in if Acuna was in the lineup? Right. But I would two, yeah. three. I mean, that's probably being generous. That's putting a lot on a kid who's never had a major league at bat. So, you know, I, I, those two or three games, I don't think are going to make a difference. And that's even assuming he would make a difference of two or three wins. Good stuff, Schultz. Can't wait to get this season started. The 2018 Braves campaign getting underway Thursday at SunTrust. And then uh, you and I headed to Augusta National next week. we got some fun podcasts and, and guests for you from uh, the Plush Compound where uh, – Cox headquarters will be located that week. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, over, under on egg salad sandwiches I'm setting for myself is 18. Well, and, here's and, and that's thing. just for Sunday. Yes. Here's the thing, Zach. Okay, so it's it's ketchup because it's Passover. So Ooh. now if you – now I'm not saying you're a bad Jew, but if you if you choose not to eat white flour, that eliminates sandwiches until I think – Friday? I don't know. What's the when does Passover end? So remember how we started out this podcast talking about <laughs> on the record and off the record conversations, <laughs> Jeff. Yeah, right. On, on the, the record, record, I will be you're a not good. Eating bread. I will be record, a good Jew. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff Schultz from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. As always, man, much love. I'm Zach Klein from WSB Channel Two in Atlanta. Thanks for your time, everybody, and we appreciate you tuning in to the We Never Played the Game podcast. <laughs>